Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Here we are at midweek. Glad you've let us be part of your day. And here's what we're going to be talking about today. The push for a tax extenders package, very important to the biodiesel industry. We're going to talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen, at the very latest on those efforts. Uh, we're going to talk with longtime uh, pork industry economist Steve Meyer, now with Kearns & Associates. We'll talk about uh, the looks like the growing demand for protein around the world and what that means for the U.S. pork industry and the opportunities there. And we'll continue our harvest reports. Uh, we'll go to the state of Ohio. Cy Prettyman, we've been following him throughout both the growing season, planting season, growing season, and now the harvest season. I believe he's done there just north of Columbus, Ohio. We'll get a report of how things went a little bit later on in the program. But we're going to start it off with our good friend John Newton. He's the chief economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. And Farm Bureau, not John, but Farm Bureau celebrating its 100th birthday. John, that, uh, that's a big milestone for your organization. I've got a few extra aches and, and pains today. I'm, I'm getting <laughs> old there. A hundred's hard. Yeah. But, uh, boy, when you look back over the history of, uh, of Farm Bureau and the, the issues that have been covered, the leaders that have come from the organization, it's, it's quite a story. It is, and and I think if you get a chance to get on social media and look at the hashtag AFBF100, you'll see all of the praise that we received from lawmakers uh, recognizing the value that American Farm Bureau brings uh, to the table and representing farmers and ranchers across the country. Uh, you know, we've had great leaders. We've been very influential uh, throughout the decades, and, and Mike, I'm so proud to, to work for an organization and represent uh, our members across the country. Well, let's look at some of the issues of the day. Now, Secretary Purdue has uh, said that shortly there will be the next uh, tranche of uh, uh, market facilitation program payments. But even as they get set to release those, we are hearing from some in Congress, uh, some Democrats uh, have spoken out critical of the payments, saying they favor uh, those in the South over the rest of the country. Have you looked at these payments, analyzed them? And, and if so, what kind of conclusion have you come to? You know, we, we have looked at the payments. I think if you look, what the administration uh, tried to do with MFP2 was uh, address some of the challenges with the first round of, of trade assistance. They also didn't want uh, to distort planting uh, intentions, so they announced a county-based uh, payment rate based on their estimates of trade damage. Uh, we know that, that cotton, sorghum, and soybeans have been adversely impacted. Uh, by the trade war with China. Some other commodities, too, have been impacted, tobacco, for example. Uh, but they announced the county-based payment rates, and those payment rates, they're higher uh, across portions of the South, really along the cotton belt. Uh, but, but I think it's important to also take into consideration, Mike, uh, when you take all the eligible commodities and the acreage that's eligible for uh, MFP2 assistance, uh, you'll see that those dollars actually flow predominantly uh, into the Midwest, into the corn and soybean producing areas. Uh, and we put out an analysis on our website, a fact-based analysis that shows where the county-based payment rates are and then where the payments have gone or are likely to go. Uh, and USDA's done a great job on farmers.gov of putting that information out as well. So we wait to see about this next round. Are you anticipating any real change, or what? Or do we know at this point what they're thinking about, how they're going to do it? Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, Chairman Peterson has sent a, a letter to USDA making some uh, recommendations for this next round of, of MFP2. I know some of our states have, have uh, you know, had some issues. Uh, for example, apples in Michigan uh, are having some trouble uh, with trade. We've got some, the cherry industry in Michigan uh, has some troubles with trade, not directly related to China. It has more to do with uh, cherry, tart cherry imports from Turkey. Uh, but but there are a lot of producers that are being adversely impacted by trade. I think farmers are, you know, they need this next, next round of assistance. Uh, farm debt's a record $416 billion. And, and one of the things I think it's important to note is a lot of this money that's going out 
it's ultimately not going to end up on the farm. It's going to end up in, in the hands of their creditors because farmers uh, need to service their immediate financial needs. Well, you mentioned Michigan, so that's probably why we've heard uh, the criticism and concerns raised by Senate Ag Committee uh, member Debbie Stabenow, right? She's the top Democrat on the Senate Ag Committee, uh, ranking member, so she's probably you know expressing concerns she's hearing from growers in her state. Well, and, and I, I'm expressing the, the, you know, what we're hearing from our farmer members in Michigan, especially the apple growers and the, and the cherry industry there. Uh, you know, they've been working uh, well with, with the Michigan Farm Bureau to raise some of these concerns. Uh, and we look forward to getting the details of this next round of, of trade assistance, communicating that out uh, to our farmers and, and working with the department to making sure that, that it's implemented and that support gets out to the farmers that need it. So we'll see. Uh... Secretary Purdue saying it'll probably be either late this month or early next month. We're talking with John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. John, your thoughts on Dean Foods filing for bankruptcy? You know, it's, you know, you look, uh, as a kid, I grew up uh, drinking Dean's Milk uh, in Kentucky. Uh, they uh, were a big employer in my hometown, and it's it's a really sad uh, situation uh, that, that, that Dean Foods is now moving towards Chapter 11. Uh, reorganization. I think talking to many of our members, uh, you know, they have two pr- primary concerns. One, uh, to make sure they get paid for the milk that's been delivered. Uh, and I think, you know, in the case of, of BFA, uh, you know, they're going to be able to, to pay those farmers. But Dean's did have a lot of independent producers, so making sure those folks get paid. And then, you know, milk is, you know, a cow needs to be milked multiple times per day. They don't take a day off. So we also need to make sure that those farms impacted by this uh, continue to have a home for their milk. So those are the immediate concerns uh, that's been elevated uh, by our members across the country. Some have pointed to the declining uh, fluid milk consumption in this country. Is that uh, a major part of this? No, I I think, you know, that's probably one factor. And quite frankly, Mike, I think another factor is the antiquated milk pricing system. You know, federal orders look at fluid milk as the golden goose. It's the highest-priced commodity uh, in the dairy space. And, and I think our Federal Milk Marketing Order Working Group, uh, we looked at that issue. I think that's something the dairy industry is going to need to think about, is whether or not fluid milk is still the golden goose. Uh, in 10 years, we're going to export more milk solids than we put in a bottle. Uh, why fluid milk continues to be the highest price uh, is something that we need to think about. All right, John, always good to talk with you. Thank you very much. And again, uh, congratulations to the American Farm Bureau on its 100th anniversary. Thanks for being with us, John. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. John Newton, Chief Economist for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Well, the biodiesel industry is really struggling and needs the biodiesel tax credit reinstated. This thing's been on and off, on and off off now and really they need some clarity some certainty on this and industry continues to push can they get something done yet this year this session of congress we talk with the ceo of the national biodiesel board donnell rehagen about that issue coming up next stay with us here on aoa Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with American Farm Bureau Federation economist Michael Nevue. Will hemp producers be eligible for USDA programs, including insurance? Hemp producers are eligible for crop insurance. It would only be eligible, at least right now, for the 2020 growing year under the Whole Farm Revenue Protection Plan. You know, you can grow multiple crops under that. There is no individual crop uh, insurance product for hemp yet. That's one that hopefully RMA, uh, working with private stakeholders, will be able to develop a tool over time. But i got to say, with the risk with this crop, if you produce a crop that becomes a hot crop over that 0.3% THC level, it is not an insurable covered loss under crop insurance. Even if weather is the reason, even if you do all your management practices correctly, if it becomes a hot crop, you do not get coverage under crop insurance, and it's in DEA's ballpark at that point. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer fueled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, Congress has a full plate and a short calendar. We'll wait to see what they get done yet this year in this session. Uh, some big ticket items, of course, uh, but will part of uh, their schedule include getting a tax extenders package done? Let's talk about that with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehagen. Donnell, thank you for joining us. We've talked about this a number of times. What's your path forward you see in getting it done this year? Well, Mike, you know, it's something we've been watching, and uh, Congress is, uh, you know, quite busy now, as we all know, and so it's our job to keep this uh, on their front burner. And we, we know there's a number of uh, funding bills for the government, but nothing else, a continuing resolution to keep the government open. And so those are all opportunities for us uh, here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, in a way, it, things like that can help you, right, because you're, you're looking to maybe attach uh, – the tax extenders onto a, a bill that has a good chance of passing, and maybe it's uh, the spending bill. Absolutely. You know, the, our tax uh, credit as well as the whole tax extenders package is not run it's run on its own uh, in a long, long time. And so it's always attached to another vehicle. And so funding bills are necessary for, for that to be attached to, and so we have those opportunities with the government, again, needing to be funded after November 21st. Are you getting any signals or indication about the likelihood or the chances of getting it on there? Well, you know, there's there, there's a lot of things going on in D.C., uh, as you know, and so it kind of changes by the moment. And so we know there's a lot of interest in getting this done. There's a recognition that this tax extended package has been orphaned for almost two years now. Uh, so there's been a lot of missed opportunities already. Um, so I think it really just depends on how the impeachment proceedings go and, and kind of what comes out of that as far as interest in putting a bipartisan funding package together. Because uh, our other option is to uh, to pass another continuing resolution and to sort of kick the can down the road. Now, what are you looking for as far as the biodiesel tax credit? Uh, are you looking at, you know, one year, two years, multiple years? What are you looking at? Well, you know, we've always been looking for the longest term that we can get because uh, that provides a longer-term certainty. So we're, we're working on two years backwards now, and so 
Uh, it would seem to us that a two-year bill just fully retroactive uh, is going to have you know, not the impact that you'd like to see out of a tax credit. So it's our hope that there's going to be at least a prospective year of 2020 um, and then potentially something beyond that if that's uh, what Congress is interested in doing. We know we've laid out the groundwork of why a long-term credit is a better, uh, a better move for the country. Talking with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Donnell, you've also been able to lay out pretty clearly the damage that has been done and is continuing to be done to the biodiesel industry when you don't have the tax credit. Well, not only to our industry, you know, I think it's important for everybody to realize that that uh, tax credit, although it's called a biodiesel tax credit, it's a blender's tax credit. And so that credit is shared all the way up and down the supply chain. In fact, our most recent study showed that uh, biodiesel producers receive less than half uh, of that dollar per gallon. So more than half of it goes downstream to assist with infrastructure build-out and uh, you know whatever it takes to get biodiesel blends out to the retail and commercial markets. There are probably some people, maybe one, it's because it's a little different than ethanol where people you know go to the gas uh, station quite often and, and fill up their, their tanks. So if you're not really using biodiesel as you know like you would ethanol people may not be aware of the the economic impact this this has uh, on the country upon our our fuel supply and what we're trying to build here as far as the domestic fuel industry well absolutely and this is what it means you know, starting with agriculture i mean our industry the biodiesel industry is a six is a 17 billion dollar annual industry and a, a large portion of that uh, uh, is affecting the, the agricultural industry is that's where all our feedstocks come from. So it has an, uh, our industry has an impact up and down the supply chain, all the way from feedstock providers, soybean and, and livestock uh, farmers, all the way down to uh, retail stations that uh, supply it out to consumers. Yeah, we talk a lot about trade deals and international markets, and those are critically important. But this is a domestic market that needs to be taken care of as well. Well, absolutely. It's, it's very important for us, I think, as a country. We've recognized that, and that's the reason for some of the legislation that's been out there. It's the reason this tax credit was originally put into place was the desire for our country to become a little more energy independent. And the biodiesel industry has done a fabulous job of helping our country move towards better energy independence, at the same time uh, creating that value added for agriculture and creating new jobs in rural economies. So it's, just a, it's a, not just a win-win, it's a win-win-win. Uh, for the country. I say this all the time about the RFS. It seems like many have lost sight of the intent why we had the RFS in the first place, and that was to uh, build and promote and support a a domestic biofuels industry. And I think same way with this uh, tax credit, uh, I I can't believe it was ever intended when it was first originated to to be such an on-and-off-again situation. I mean, you spent almost, what, as much time without it as you have with it since it was uh, first started. That's exactly right. And that's what's challenging for the producer members. You know, do they do they add more production capacity? Because they certainly could. Uh, there's investment waiting, you know, to be made in the industry. But without clear signals, uh, you know, from these policies, both the RFS and the tax credit, about where the government wants to see our industry three, four, five, ten years from now, it's hard for them to make those decisions. Now, this is probably speculation, but could you make the argument, could you make the case that had the tax credit been kept in place every year since it started, instead of being on again, off again, if it had been kept in place, the industry might now be to a point where you would either not need it or be or close to not needing it? Well, I think there's no doubt that if we had that certain year on year and weren't always looking backwards hoping, um, I do think, that, number one, the industry would be significantly larger than what it is now. There's feedstock out there available for us to use uh, in biodiesel production, but the signals just aren't clear that that's what should be done. So I think first and foremost is there's been a lot of lost opportunity for uh, for job creation and for uh, we're increasing the value added by agriculture because the biodiesel industry has been held back. So in this remaining congressional session now, I mean, here we are mid-November, so time is getting short. What's the next step? Uh, uh, you're looking at that that spending bill, right? 
Well, we are, and there's there's several opportunities there, just depending on how Congress decides to tackle their obligation to fund the government. But uh, luckily, uh, we are having a membership meeting. Our, our industry is gathering next week in Washington, D.C., and so uh, we will be able to have all of our members there sharing this message of urgency with members of Congress next Tuesday, in fact, uh, Tuesday afternoon. And uh, looking forward to that opportunity. It's not that they have not been hearing from us. They certainly have. In fact, some offices have been complaining uh, that they hear from us too often. Uh, but it's our job to raise and keep that urgency to, to, for them to take their action that they need to take, they know they need to take, and quite frankly, they want to take. But to go ahead and do it now and, and to quit pushing that decision off. Of course, a tax extenders package includes a lot of other things. Uh, so you have others that are in there talking about the need for this as well. You're right. Uh, you know, short line railroad. Uh, there's there's a number of tax uh, pa- tax extenders in that package. There's about 25 or 26 to be honest, and uh, we're we're one of the more prominent ones as well as the short line railroad as far as you know understanding and and uh, experience out across the countryside. And so it's not just biodiesel trying to carry this message. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we certainly appreciate the support we get from our agricultural friends who are weighing in with their members of Congress, and I would certainly ask if any of your listeners are willing to do that. That would be wonderful in the next week or so. Weigh in with your House members and your senators and let them know how important to you the extension of this biodiesel tax credit is. Well, you've been close. You've been frustratingly close yeah. and, then, and couldn't get it. Hopefully this will be the time. This needs to be the time. You know, we've seen plant closures uh, over the last three months. We've seen a significant scale back in production, which is going to ultimately have an impact on uh, agriculture, you know, from the demand side of feedstocks. And so we really can't go on much longer. This tax credit uh, has been expected to be there. And so the downstream partners of our producer members are, are wanting a piece of that dollar, even though that dollar doesn't exist right now. So our producer members have been really stretched out financially trying to make those transactions work like they always did, kind of waiting for the government to come through. And so we, we really need them, the, the government, to step in right now and do that so we can get back to uh, back to the normal production levels that we would like to be at. All right, Donnell, thank you very much for the update. And hopefully next time we talk, we'll talk about it being a, a done deal instead of just trying to get it done. So uh, That would be uh, a great conversation, Mike. Thank we'll, you. We'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Right, thank Donnell you. Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Up next, economist Steve Meyer will take a look at this growing protein demand, what it means for the U.S. livestock industry. That's next on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. You can't buy a best friend. You can love them, walk them, pet them, and care for them whether they want you to or not. You can take a picture or 50. You can fly to the moon, travel the world, or just stay in bed. You can't buy a best friend like that, but you can adopt one. There are millions of pets waiting for a best friend just like you. Help us save them all at bestfriends.org. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Grain futures at the Board of Trade lower across the board early, with traders maintaining a pessimistic attitude, even amid cold weather that's moving through the U.S. The main reason, according to the Wire Talk, the results of Friday's monthly WASDE report. Grain export inspections of corn and wheat yesterday both jumped over their totals from last week, but the pace of exports still isn't fast enough to meet USDA projections for this year. Corn futures have been weighed down by a lack of demand, especially from the export market. President Trump said the U.S. and China are close to completing phase one of their trade deal, but he added during a speech in 
New York yesterday that they're dying to make a deal. We're the ones deciding whether or not we want to make a deal. January soybeans down two and a quarter at nine fourteen and three quarters. December corn down two at three seventy five and three quarters of a cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December down two and a half at five nineteen and a quarter. Chicago wheat December down six and a quarter, five ten and three quarters. Kansas City December down four and a half at four thirty four and a quarter cent. Livestock at the American live cattle futures. Nearby December, an hour into Wednesday's trade, down 35 at 119.40. Feeder cattle, January, down a dollar five at 146.07. Lean hog futures, December, down 60 cents, 64.12 as the up and down movement continues in lean hog futures. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow down 16 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Happy to have with us Steve Meyer, economist with Kearns and Associates, longtime economist with the National Pork Producers Council. Steve, thanks for joining us. Good to talk with you again. Good to be with you, Mike. Uh, lots to talk about. I want I want to get your thoughts on the situation we have with African swine fever and the depopulation of much of the swine herd in China and now spreading to other countries. It's built up demand and we're hopeful of a U.S.-China trade deal that would open that door to U.S. pork producers. But are we really uh, on the verge of this huge explosion for uh, uh, pork producers and livestock producers uh, in this country to take advantage of? Well, I don't know if... uh, We're not sure how huge the explosion will be. We think that there's going to be growth. Um, you know, uh, if you look at the magnitude of the losses there, uh, China had about half the world's pigs, and they've lost about half of those. So, um, you know, 25 million, you know, uh, they ate 54 million tons of um, pork uh, in 2017. Uh, they're going to produce half that now. Uh, let's say that's 27 million tons de- decline. We produce about 12 million tons every year. So, you know, can that hole be filled? The answer is no. Uh, there's not enough pork in the world to fill the hole. Their prices have gone to record levels and uh, continue to kind of kind of slowed down a little in the last couple of weeks of the pig prices have, but the pork prices are well above 50 uh, renminbi per, per kilogram, uh, wildly a record. And so <clears throat> we certainly think they're going to buy more, and we think that, that uh, you know, since it broke in August of 2018, the first uh, several months was uh, a lot of shipping pigs to market before they got sick or after they got sick and before they died in many cases. And so it actually had an increase in pork production for a while, but they've, they've gone to the end of the rope on that. They can't go any further. And so um, we think that there's certainly going to be in our market. Our problem in the U.S. right now is the tariffs put us at the end of the line as a supplier there. They're going to buy whatever they can from Canada and from the EU, and from Brazil, and maybe a little dab from a few other countries uh, before they come to us and pay those tariffs. 
uh, our product is still wildly profitable for them. And so we see our exports to China are up dramatically this year, and I think they could still grow more. I don't know if it can be an explosion, though, because uh, we certainly have product to send to them, but none of these countries that are exporting are going to severely short their domestic market in order to serve the Chinese market, especially on a short-term thing. Now, the length of run on this is a question. How quickly can they retool these huge losses? We don't think it's going to be very fast. We think this is probably a four- or five-year episode of increased demand for world pork, uh, wherever that pork might come from. Is there any indication they have African swine fever contained, under control, or uh, is this ongoing, you think? Well, I think it's ongoing. I don't think uh, there's a lot of indication they have it under control because everything we're hearing is restocking efforts are not going very well. And without a vaccine, it's going to be very difficult uh, to, to restock. Uh, uh, an example is that you know African swine fever went to Portugal and got into northern Spain in 1978, I think, and it took them nearly 30 years to kind of be rid of it. Um, and, and their hog density is nothing compared to what the Chinese hog density is. So I think it's going to be a very difficult thing without a, uh, without a vaccine. Now, we know of some techniques that are being tried over there that are having success in some areas, but I think that's going to be the key is in some areas. In some areas, you may not have a prevalence of the virus that's high enough, and so you might be able to do some things. In other areas, you're going to have plenty of it around, and it's going to be very hard to get away from Talking with Steve Meyer with Kearns and Associates. Uh, Steve, this will be an opportunity. You mentioned the hold is such a big one to fill. It will be an opportunity for poultry and even beef, right, to help fill that hole. Absolutely. And we hear talk of uh, finally uh, China dropping the avian influenza bar, uh, bars to U.S. Uh, poultry coming into the country. And I think that would be a wise thing for their government to do to get protein into the country. So I think we're going to get chicken exports going up there, um, mainly dark meat exports. Um, if you look at the beef side, we're going to get more beef going in there, but beef is still way expensive compared to poultry and, and chick and uh, pork in China. And so uh, I think the price of beef is going to be the limiting factor, but they're going to take more of it. So, you know, again, when you have that big a gap in what they've been accustomed to having available, uh, to what is now available there, uh, you're going to try to fill parts of it from everywhere you can, um, but you're not going to fill it all. I mean, they're going to eat less meat. Their prices are going to be higher than they were. Um, this is a real problem for the Chinese government. I mean, uh, their their consumers used to eat about 90 pounds of pork per person per year. Uh, their availability is going to be uh, maybe maybe half that now. And so... Um, uh, and I, like I say, you just can't immediately come up with much, that much more protein around the world uh, to get them back anywhere near where they were. Is this a signal to the U.S. pork industry in particular to expand? Well, it, is, it isn't yet. <laughs> we haven't seen, uh, seen the benefits of this to a great degree yet. I think we still will. If you look at the futures market for next year, I mean, we still got summer futures in the 90s. We got cost of production in the mid-60s, probably on a carcass weight basis. So we're very profitable. I think there's plenty of expansion signals out there. The concern I have is if if we get two or three years down the road with a big expansion going on here and somebody comes up with a vaccine, we're in a real world of hurt because then the Chinese can rebuild they still consider pork to be a kind of a strategic item, and so they're not going to easily import a lot of pork. I think they will import more pork than they have in the past because they're going to figure out that other people can raise it cheaper than they can. But uh, still, I, I, I think we've got to be careful about the pace of expansion in the U.S., and right now our productivity is growing fast enough that we can actually expand production without adding very many sows. Uh, from a from a uh, from a pigs per litter standpoint, the negative on that is going to be, you know, if we all stop using ractopamine, we're probably going to lose four or five pounds of carcass weight uh, in that process. So um, there's a lot of counterbalancing uh, things here. 
I think U.S. producers need to be very prudent about the pace of expansion. That's nothing new. The other point on that, Mike, is at the rate we're going now, we're going to fill all this new cut packing capacity by next mm-hmm. fall. So uh, if we expand very much more, we've got to build another plant, and uh, there's no plans of that in process at the moment. I was going to ask you about that because we've talked about this before, getting the, these new plants up and, and going, and we could, as you said, we could uh, exceed their capacity real quick if we, if we overexpand. Well, and, and you know, we're, we're going to get there next fall, I think. I mean, as a matter of fact, we're, we've, we're bringing plenty of pigs to the market right now for the capacity we have. We have to remember that the Prestige plant in Iowa is still only running at about 75% of their first shift. They, they're not full up yet, and I think labor is the main limiting factor there. We have three plants in the country that could go to a double shift. Uh, Prestige would be one of them. Um, the uh, the cold water plant in Michigan could add a double shift. I think they have to build a little more cooler space. And then the Holstone Foods plant out of Fremont, that used to be Hormel's, is in the process of adding a, a second shift. They've got a lot of remodeling to do and everything, and they probably won't get that done until 2021 at the earliest. And so um, there's just not a lot of expansion. There is a small plant in LaBorne, Minnesota, <clears throat> that will open this winter. But that's only, uh, I think, 3,500 hits per day. So uh, we'll take what we can get, but it's not going to make a big difference. So we have to be careful to not, uh, not outrun the slaughter capacity thing again. And a lot of folks might be a little complacent on that, saying, well, sure, we just order, open three new plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're killing significantly more hogs than we did three years ago. And, of course, the other part of this is we have to keep African swine fever out of the U.S., yeah, and, and, you know, there's a lot of efforts going on. I think uh, this is one of those things, Mike, where PEDV was the best thing that ever happened. I think uh, the scare that PEDV put into us, and, of course, that one turned out great because it restricted supplies, didn't have any impact on exports, and the price went up. Well, this one would be different because this one would block exports, uh, fundamentally different. And so uh, that was a shot across the bow that got our attention, I think, the industry, government, um, I think they're all working kind of on the same page. Now, you've got a lot of different governments involved here, state veterinarians and the federal uh, veterinary authorities and customs. And uh, so there's a lot of balls in the air, but at least we, we, we kind of know that it's important. And we've had some exercises that have pointed out some shortcomings. And, you know, Dr. Scott D is probably the foremost authority on this. And, and Scott's judgment that the virus has probably been in the United States already. It just hasn't got to a pig. And that's, that's the, you know, you hope to keep it completely out, but somebody has probably carried it into an airport somewhere. Um, now, whether we, can we stop it from getting to a pig? I think that's the big step. And, and that's going to be a difficult challenge in the U.S. I mean, our pigs, you know, unless it lands in Des Moines or Minneapolis or Raleigh, um, you know, our pigs just really aren't very close to most of those really at-risk airports that uh, we see on the list. And so uh, we have a fighting chance. We have to remember that foot and mouth disease has been in China every day for the last however many years, 50 years, and we've never got foot and mouth disease from there. So uh, it's not a guarantee that ASF will come here. It certainly is a probability, and uh, we need to be aware of that. Steve, great to talk with you again. Thank you very much. You bet, Mike. Thank you. Take care. Economist Steve Meyer with Kearns & Associates. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around.
Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manufacturing, manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. My mom, a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction, plus the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help, and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early like they did with my mom. Donate today. 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Dale Moore, Executive Vice President of the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dale, there is a bipartisan ag labor reform bill that's been introduced. Why has Farm Bureau not endorsed it yet, or will you, or where are you at in that process? Well, Mike, our board has met a couple of times and gone through this bill in, in you know very, very careful detail to understand uh, everything that it represents. There are some things in that that are positive, namely uh, one thing that we've heard from all over the country uh, is this process that would provide a, a pathway to legal status for the current workforce because we know uh, the data suggests that there are a number of workers in a lot of different industry sectors who are in the United States that may not uh, have the documentation necessary and so forth. So we feel like that that part of the bill you know, is a step in the right direction and, and relatively consistent with our grassroots policy. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second, in time, on the first, double play! Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. 
restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credence soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credence soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Time for another harvest update. We go to the state of Ohio, just north of Columbus. Cy Prettyman Farms there. Cy, thanks for joining us. Harvest 19 all done for you. Yeah, I was able to finish up uh, two weeks ago yesterday. So, of course, as you remember from maybe visiting earlier in the year, I was unable to get all the crops planted. So, as my dad said, we were half done when we started. That's what it felt like. So, it uh, went along pretty quickly. We had a very smooth harvest. Um, I think last time we talked, I'd maybe just gotten into a few beans. Mm-hmm. So, uh, were you pleasantly surprised with the re- with the yields? We were. Uh, we felt like we were pretty blessed on yields uh, in regards to some of the farms. Some of them not so much. Uh, beans for as late as they were planted. Uh, uh, you know, we felt pretty good about where we ended up. We were in the mid, probably low to mid 40s on average uh, for all of our beans, and and those were majority of those were planted the last week of June. The ones that were planted earlier June weren't any better. Um, I just think that all the stress that they went through was. It just uh, the earlier planting date, which typically pan, plans out uh, pans out the higher yields, but uh, not in that not this year uh, in regards to that those acres of beans that we planted. How about corn? On the corn side, uh, a couple farms that we all of our corn got planted right around Memorial Day, um, and we had some that was in that 170 range, so which was still down from our record yields by 50 bushel from last year. But uh, then on some of the other acres, um, we weren't so fortunate, and uh, we were probably off, uh, you know, 75 to 100 bushel from last year. So significant drop on some farms of just too much, too much water, uh, too much stress throughout the, throughout the year to, to maximize those yields. We're hearing a lot about uh, high moisture grain going in storage, a lot of drying. Uh, what about your situation? How, how were your moisture levels? Yeah, moisture levels weren't too bad. I've heard a lot of guys talking about I can't get them dry. You know, they're not maturing, and and um, and they were pretty high. We had most of what we had planted was not real full season. About the latest we had was 108 day, uh, down to about 104 day corn, and they were coming out of the field in that 18 to 22 percent moisture for us. So compared to some of the other stories I've heard, uh, I felt pretty good about that. Still had to dry some, obviously, but uh, it wasn't an unreasonable amount. So being done for two weeks now, have you been able to get some fall field work done looking ahead to next year? Yeah, that's uh, last fall as well as all we didn't get didn't get that completed on a lot of acres and some of the acres were questionable as to, you know, it really wasn't probably wasn't ideal conditions for fall tillage. So this year we've tried to get after it. I have about eighty acres left, um, and I didn't really feel as we got this cold front coming through that you guys are probably experienced too. And mm-hmm. I said, we're just going to wait till hopefully here later in November it warms back up and we'll finish that. But we, we have been on that the last, and a lot uh, got caught up here quite a bit then after harvest ended and we got some dry weather and uh, actually it's coming down really nice. What are you seeing uh, with some of your neighbors and others in your area? Are they done or about done? 
It's varying. Uh, I would say I don't see too many beans left around. I was just north this morning for an appointment, and there's a gentleman up there who's got quite a bit of double crop beans. Those are still sitting out there that he needs to grab. Um, a few hundred acres there that I can see when I when I head north. Uh, but most of the rest of the beans are in, and some guys are wrapped up with corn harvest. Some guys are you know well into it, um, but not uh, not a significant amount setting around the area as you as you look at it so corn wise i would say you know not not an unusual amount of corn left out here in our area for for mid-november i'm guessing like for many 2019 to be a year you just as soon forget in many ways but uh, will be hard to forget that's for sure it's been a challenging year you know i felt like i've i've learned a lot i've grown you know just a lot in a lot of areas uh, because of some of the challenge we faced, we had to do some different things that we hadn't done before. So it was a learning experience, but it wasn't a fun one, that's for sure. And then this morning we wake up to 2 degrees on November uh, November 13th, and I'm thinking, boy, 2019 and the weather, just uh, a gift that keeps on giving, that's for sure. So will you make any plan, uh, changes in your cropping uh, systems and your rotations next year, or or have you thought a lot about that yet? Um, I, we'll probably be back. I mean, depending on what the spring gives us again, uh, you know, we'll try to get back to more of a 50, 50 blend on the, on the corn and the beans that we typically do. You know, I've, uh, applied fertilizer and in, in anticipation of that, uh, we've got our fall tillage done where we need to, uh, anticipating that we'll be able to have a, uh, somewhat more normal spring and, and get back to a normal rotation on, on both the corn and the soybeans. Always the, uh, uh, the hope that next year is better, right? Everybody is saying they want to get this year behind them and start fresh. That's for sure, at least in our area. And um, it's as we said, it's it's been a real challenge. Uh, and I know out west, the guys are still continuing to have a lot of challenges wrapping up harvest, and hopefully they they can get through that. And I'm sure they're feeling the same way. Well, I know you're relieved to have it done. Everyone I talk to that is done you say you know you always breathe a sigh of relief when harvest is done anyway but i think especially yeah. uh this year so i thanks a lot always appreciate talking with you as we've kind of been with you throughout this whole year and uh hopefully when we talk again next spring about planting it uh, it'll be a little uh, better scenario than we had this year so thanks a lot good to talk with you thank you mike all right take all care. right go bucks all right Cy prettyman he farms just north of columbus ohio With that, we'll wrap it up for AOA for today. I'm off to Kansas City. I'll be broadcasting from the National Association of Farm Broadcasting Convention tomorrow and Friday. Hope you'll join us right here on Adams on Agriculture. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.